I'm grateful to see you and to be back with you this Sunday. I understand that Maria did a terrific job last week while I was out, and I'm so blessed to be working with Joanne and Maria. They are teaching me much about this church and this community and helping me in all kinds of ways, and I'm just so grateful. Last week, Mickey and I were attending her family reunion in western Kansas. We worshiped in the Sharon Springs United Methodist Church, uh, almost in Colorado. Uh, Small church, probably about 45 or 50 folks there, but we had a great time. And once in a while, it's a whole lot of fun just to walk in and not worry about anything and um, not to do anything but pray and and walk in and worship with some folks. And we we had a great time. We had a good trip. But it's good to come home. It's good to come back to a house that's unpacked and everything is in its place and we're learning our way around and you've been so gracious and so supportive and I thank you so much for that. I want to continue with our summertime series of messages called Messages That Matter from the Mind of Matthew. We're following Matthew's gospel readings for this summer out of the lectionary and we'll switch gears and go in a different direction shortly. But right now, I want us to continue to listen to what Matthew has to say to us as we gather here on these uh, glorious Sunday mornings. So we're in Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 13, and it's a gospel reading, and I will ask you to stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Scripture. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit out on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place apart. Now, when Jesus heard this, heard what? heard that his relative, his baptizer, his friend, John the Baptist, was dead. Dead because he had spoken out against immorality in high places. The king, Herod, or the so-called king, had gotten tied up, tangled up, with his brother Philip's wife, a woman named Herodias. John said, it's unlawful for you to have her. She didn't like John meddling in her affairs, especially in this affair. And as a result of some underhanded wheeling and dealing and the talents of a dancing girl, John's head ended up on a platter, a gruesome 
picture. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew to a lonely place apart. What was Jesus thinking? What was he feeling at the loss, the death of this one that he depended on, this one that he was close to, this one who had prepared his way, this John the baptizer we've come to call him. The one who had, in a very real sense, ordained Jesus to his ministry. Deep sadness, blazing anger, a sense of dread that maybe he was next. And the human side of Jesus was troubled by that. Maybe all of these emotions jammed the doorway to his heart at one and the same time. So he chose to withdraw for a while to a lonely place to grieve, to think, to pray. Jesus' reaction to the tragic death of one who had been called to prepare the way of the Lord was not unlike the way that we often respond to bad news, to difficult news, to painful news, was it? He wanted, needed to be alone for a while, away from the relentless demands that will take their toll on even the young and the healthy. Jesus knew, we know or have known or will know what deep sadness feels like. John the Baptist was dead. A bright light had gone out without so much as a flicker, a prophet, full of the enthusiasm of the Lord, now occupied a new grave. A voice crying in the wilderness had been silenced by the evil that he had cried out against. John was dead, and Jesus was sad. Jesus knew, and we know or have known or will know what red-hot anger feels like. If John had died at the skeleton-like hands of disease or accident, that'd be one story. But to die at the hands of those who believe that power and wealth and privilege put them above the law was something else altogether. John struggled so hard to accomplish God's will. King Herod struggled so hard to get his own way, to ignore the will of God. Yet if you look out at the lighted scoreboard in center field, it's clear. Evil one, good zero. Jesus knew, and we know, or have known, or we will know, about the possibility of being next. I had a fellow that I knew in a, in a previous community who attended most every funeral around there. Whether I was officiating or just attending, he would always come up to me after the service, and he said, well, preacher, I might be next. Well, last I heard, he hadn't been next yet. And, uh, <laughs> but one day, we all will be Next, But we don't have to live with that sense of dread and fear all the time if we worship and serve the risen Christ. But Jesus surely was thinking, John's gone. They'll be coming for me. 
Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew in a boat to a lonely place apart. His solitude was to be short-lived, though. The crowds got wind of this. Folks came out from all the villages and towns around the Sea of Galilee, and they would come to where he was, to where the boat was landing, and they followed him. They would not give him even a few minutes. He was probably weary, physically tired, emotionally tired, spiritually tired, surely dealing with this whole thing about what had happened to John and how difficult that was. And he needed a little time, just a little time to grieve and to pray and to think about what was next. But he saw this mass of humanity, this throng of people waiting on him, and he did not turn back. He did not seek another landing site. The Sea of Galilee is not that large, he, but it's large enough. He could have found another harbor, another place perhaps, somewhere where he could have hidden out for just a little while. Who would have blamed him? But he chose not to turn back. And he went ashore and he saw a great throng. And the passage said he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. And a little bit later, the disciples came to him and said, Lord, these folk are going to be hungry. They're a long way from home. There's nowhere to get anything to eat out here. Send them away was their thought. And Jesus said, give them something to eat. They don't need to leave. I would love to have seen the looks on their faces when he said that. 5,000 men, women, and children, give them something to eat. And they were thinking, well, he's... He's finally lost it. We've been suspicious, but he's finally lost it. And they were hesitant, so he took over. And he said, what do you have? And they said, we've got five loaves of bread, probably more like five little brown and serve rolls, and two fish. Not big bass, the kind that some folk brag about catching, but a couple of little sardines. And that's all they had. And sit down. He made them all take their places, and he asked the disciples to help out, and they distributed the food, and they were all full. They all had plenty, 12 baskets full of leftovers. You know the story. It's in all four of the Gospels, which says something about the significance of the the story to the church uh, across the years. Excuse me. And it's a significant story to us. This is a compassionate Jesus we're talking about here. Heal the folk who were sick. Fed the folks who were hungry and human nature would have said, just turn them away. It was a, an inner voice, I'm sure, that rose up and became an action in his life. Do something about this. Don't just turn these folk away. He had compassion on them. And I think the fact that he had compassion on this crowd may be the greater of the miracles here. Not so much that the, the loaves and the fish became enough or more than enough for these people, but that he had compassion on them rather than contempt for the crowds. I think about when I'm watching the news and, and you see a group of folks, whether they're refugees or protesters or together for whatever reason, How often, I have to ask myself, do I feel compassion? And how often do I feel contempt? And it's hard sometimes to practice 
compassion. Jesus' compassion led him from time to time to heal the blind, Matthew 20, 34. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes that they might receive their sight and follow him. Compassion led him to cleanse lepers, and that was a dread disease in that day. Nobody wanted to be around these folk. Mark 1, 41, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will, it's my will, be clean. And Jesus' compassion led him to the unlearned, Matthew 6, Mark 6, 34. As he went, he saw a great throng, and he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. Do we ever look out on those throngs we talked about a moment ago and say, sheep without a shepherd? Or do we have other thoughts and other attitudes? And he began to teach them many things. Jesus' compassion led him to raise the dead. In in Luke 7, there's that story. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Do not weep. And he came and he touched the buyer, the, the casket that was being carried out of town to the cemetery. And he said to the young man, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. It was a widow woman. This was her only son. All her visible means of support in this world were gone back in that day and time. And in compassion, Jesus restored her son. Jesus went about doing good, the little children's song says. The Bible tells me so. He healed the sick and he helped the blind. The little children, he was kind. Jesus went about doing good. He was full of kindness, full of mercy, full of compassion. And he calls on us, his followers, each of us, and he calls on the church to live likewise in this world today. Compassion, like so many other virtues, often begins at home. Dr. Joe Harding, and some of you may have heard of him or read some of his stories, tells a story that's really, really made an impression on me for a long time now. It's about a man who had been working for a company for a long time, and he finally decided, I need to ask my my boss, my employer, for a raise. And he told his wife that day, he said, when I go in this afternoon, I'm going to ask the boss for a raise. And she encouraged him, and he went to work. And all day long, he was nervous, and he was anxious. And toward the end of the day, he finally steeled himself enough, finally had the nerve to go into the boss's office and talk to him about his work at that company and how long he had been there and how faithful he had been. And the boss agreed and offered him a nice raise. He arrived home that evening to a beautiful table, and it was set with the best dishes. There were china and crystal and the silverware. It was just gorgeous. His wife had done a splendid job and a very festive meal she had prepared. And so immediately he thought, well, somebody from the office has gotten in touch with her. And let her know what happened. Finding his wife in the kitchen, he told her the good news. They embraced and kissed and sat down to a wonderful meal. Next to his plate, he found a beautiful little hand-lettered note. And this is what it said. Congratulations, darling. I knew you'd get the raise. These things will tell you how much I love you. And a little bit later, he was walking to the kitchen to see about Dessert, and he noticed that another card had fallen out of his wife's pocket. And he leaned over and picked up the card, and it read, Don't worry about not getting the raise. You deserve it anyway. These things will tell you how much I love you. 
Now, chances are this woman's compassionate attitude began at home. But I bet, I bet, I bet it did not stop there. I bet it moved out beyond the walls of that home, beyond the walls of that house. And I would be willing to bet she lived with compassion wherever she was, at work, at school, wherever life took her. Compassion does begin or should begin with those who know us best and love us most, those we're closest to. But it doesn't end there. It shouldn't end there. Jesus calls us to move beyond that, to take that compassion out to this broken and and hurting world we we live in. Compassion, Jesus' style, is not always simple. And it's not always easy. And sometimes it can be very painful There's a story about an old man in India who used to spend a lot of his time sitting near the swamp under a banyan tree. And I don't know if he was meditating or what his purpose was for being there. And one day as he was sitting there, he heard some commotion next to him. Not a loud commotion, but a little bit. And he looked down, and there was a large scorpion that had become entangled in the roots of a tree. And so he walked over, reached down, and was going to lift the scorpion out of the entanglement. And the scorpion looked up and saw him and stung him. And he drew his hand back and he reached down two or three times to try to take the scorpion out of this trap. And every time the scorpion stung him and his hand swelled up large and it was very painful and it turned just red and and burning. And he walked over and sat back down under the tree and there was a man up on the top of the hill who was just laughing out loud at him and said, you old Fool, what were you thinking about trying to help that scorpion? And that scorpion's only intent is to do you harm. And the old man under the tree replied, Just because it is in the nature of that scorpion to sting me doesn't mean that I should rearrange my nature. A compassionate nature is not painless. It's often the case with those who have the deepest needs and the greatest hurts. They're they're the quickest to lash out and to sting us and to hurt us. And that's not always easy to to deal with. Leo Tolstoy told about a time, and this is to say that Compassion is not always a painful thing, not always a difficult thing. Sometimes it brings great joy to us and to the recipient. Leo Tolstoy, the great Russian writer, was passing along a street one day, and a beggar stopped him and pleaded for alms, needed some money. And Tolstoy stopped and looked through all of his pockets, and he had nothing, had no coins, nothing to offer. And he told the beggar, he said, sir, I'm so sorry. I have no coins to offer you today. But you are my brother, and I pray God's blessings. And the man's face just lit up, and he said, Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry that you've got no money. You've offered me the greatest gift of all. And Tolstoy said, What's that? He said, You've spoken to me, and you've referred to me as a brother. And that's never happened before. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the merciful, the compassionate. For they shall receive mercy and compassion. I don't know how it is with all of you, but I know with me, there are times when compassion is not not easy. There are times when it's a struggle. 
Busyness overwhelms us. Responsibilities weigh us down. Fatigue, preoccupation with matters, some important and some trivial, just weigh on us. And it's hard to be compassionate towards someone else when we really are wishing somebody would show us a little compassion. Take a little time to help us. It's hard to be compassionate toward others when we feel like we need to be the object of someone's compassion. Where do we turn? Who do we turn to to care for us? Jesus received the news of John's death. And he took it hard and he withdrew to a lonely place to have some time alone. But the crowds followed him from all around, pushing and shoving and closing in on him. And Jesus, tired and hurting and angry and wondering what's next, looked out on all these folk. And he had compassion on them. He healed those who were sick and fed those who were hungry. Do we have hearts that need healing? Do we have hungers that need fulfilling? Jesus had compassion on them. He will have the same compassion on you and me. But beware. Beware when we come to Jesus for compassion, after he's put his hands on us and helped us, he's going to put his hands on our shoulders. It's happened more than once, and maybe it's happened to you, and turn us outward and say to us individually and as his church, the same compassion I've had on you, I want you to show others. And that will not always be a sweet and sentimental and easy thing to do. Let me wrap up with this. I, I stumbled across this article in a magazine this past week. wasn't looking for it, but there it was. A guy named Tony McAleer tells a story about one of the founders of a group that he belonged to, and the group had called itself or calls itself Life After Hate. And this friend of his was being served by an elderly African-American woman in a McDonald's one day. And she noticed on the back of his hand the tattoo of a swastika. She looked at him and she said, oh, honey, you're better than that. Michael Ear said, the hardest thing in the world is to have compassion for those who have no compassion. But those are the people who need it the most. Amen.